0: Decision Podcasts are brought to you by the New York Prosecutors Training Institute. Find this and other decisions at NIPT Law. www.dot.nipti.dot.org/slash-law. People v. Boone and People v. Cotto Decided February 22, 2024 Current J. The Sex Offender Registration Act or provides that a sex offender shall be classified into one of three risk-level categories. thirty. Days prior to discharge, parole or release. The central question presented by these appeals is whether, for purposes of Sora, this deadline is properly measured from the date an offender is released from confinement by the Department of Corrections and Community Supervision, docs, despite pending or contemplated proceedings to civilly commit the offender under the Sex Offender Management and Treatment Act, SUMTA, mental hygiene law section 10.01 that SEC. We hold that, under a plain reading of Sora. The 30-day deadline for conducting a risk-level classification hearing must be measured from an offender's release by docs upon the completion of a prison sentence, irrespective of whether the state is considering instituting, or has already instituted, proceedings under SUMTA. We further hold that offenders are not denied due process by having a SORA hearing at a time when they may be civilly committed under SUMTA. 1. People v. Boone. In March 2011, Defendant Boone pleaded guilty to three counts of course of sexual conduct against a child in the first degree. Penal Law Section 130.75, 1, A, and 1 count of course of sexual conduct against a child in the second degree. As their babysitter, Boone repeatedly raped and sexually abused four children under the age of 10, one of whom was his godchild. He was previously twice convicted of sexual abuse, including an attempted rape of a six-year-old child, and was previously adjudicated a level 2 offender under Sora. Boone was sentenced to concurrent 12-year prison terms, with 20 years post-release supervision. Dux received Boone into custody in April 2011, and had his conditional release date scheduled for September 10, 2019. In advance of Boone's conditional release date, the Board of Examiners of Sex Offenders issued a risk assessment instrument, RAI, determining that Boone was a presumptive level 3 risk based on the points assessment and upon the application of an automatic override based on Boone's prior felony sex crime convictions. Before the SORA hearing was held, the Office of the Attorney General, Attorney General, filed a petition to civilly commit Boone pursuant to Sumta. When Boone was released from confinement by DOCS on his conditional release date, he was placed directly into the custody of the Office of Mental Health, OMH. In short, the Sumta proceedings against Boone were pending simultaneously with the Sora proceedings. In the Sora proceedings, Boone opposed the board's recommendation that he be adjudicated a level 3 sexually violent offender. He argued that a Sora hearing was premature and that the matter should be dismissed, or at the very least adjourned because the pending sum to proceedings meant that his release to the community was no longer imminent. Boone also argued that conducting the SORA hearing despite pending sum to proceedings violated his right to due process because he was not permitted to challenge his SORA risk assessment at a meaningful time i.e., when he would actually be released into the community. Alternatively, Boone requested that the court grant him a downward departure to risk level 2. He did not, however, challenge the points assessment under the RI or the application of the automatic override. After conducting a hearing, Supreme Court rejected Boone's arguments that the SOAR hearing was premature due to the pending SUMTA proceedings and declined to exercise its discretion to either dismiss or adjourn the SOAR proceedings. The court held that SUMTA did not bar a SOAR risk-level classification hearing, it only postponed the offender's duty to register. The court adjudicated Boone a Level 3 sexually violent offender, based on both a points assessment and the automatic override that applied due to his prior felony sex crime convictions. It denied the application for a downward departure. The appellate division affirmed, rejecting, inter alia, Boone's argument that the SORA proceedings were premature due to the pending sum to proceedings. This court granted defendant leave to appeal, and we now affirm, People v. Cotto. In June 2006, defendant Coto pleaded guilty to sexual abuse in the first degree, penal law section 130.65, 3, based on allegations that he raped a 9-year-old child he was babysitting. This incident occurred less than three months after Koto was released from incarceration for a prior felony sex offense, the rape of a seven-year-old relative. Koto was sentenced to a determinate 10-year prison term with five years post-release supervision. Docs received Koto into custody in September 2006, and ultimately planned to release him on his maximum custodial date February 29, 2016. In anticipation of that date. The board prepared and rye determining that Cotto was presumptively a level 3 sexually violent offender based on a points assessment in the automatic override for Cotto's prior felony sex crime conviction. On January 14, 2016, DOCS, as the agency with jurisdiction, sent Cotto a letter informing him that he had been identified as a possible detained sex offender and, therefore, his case had been referred to a case review team to ascertain whether, under SUMTA, he required civil management, such as civil confinement. Upon his release from prison, see Generally Mental Hygiene Law Sections 10.03, a. 10.05. Among other things, docs informed Koto that, during the review process, he may be referred for a psychiatric examination and potentially for further proceedings in accordance with SUMTA. It also indicated that the case review team could either determine that Koto did not require civil management or, if it reached a contrary conclusion, it could refer the case to the Attorney General. Who may elect to file a petition for civil management? Docs also informed Koto of the potential outcomes of a petition for civil management under Sumta, i.e., discharge, strict and intensive supervision in the community, or civil confinement. During the SOAR proceedings, Koto argued that a Sora hearing was premature due to the possibility that he would be civilly confined under Sumta. He requested an adjournment until he was about to be released into the community. Koto also argued that holding a SORA hearing at this time, when there is a not insignificant probability that, Koto, will be released directly from DOCS to OMH, violated his right to due process. Alternatively, Koto requested a downward departure to risk level 2. Koto did not challenge the points assessment under the RI or the application of the automatic override. Supreme Court rejected Koto's request to adjourn or dismiss the Sora proceedings, determining that there was no legal basis to postpone in light of the mere possibility that Koto would be civilly committed under Sumta. Following the Sora hearing, the court adjudicated Koto a Level Three sexually violent offender based on the board's point assessment and the automatic override that applied due to his prior felony sex crime conviction. The Appellate Division affirmed, rejecting in alia, Cotto's arguments that the Sora hearing should be adjourned pending the Sumta proceedings and that the timing of the SORA adjudication violated due process. This court granted leave to appeal, and we now affirm. 2. A. Defendants contend that an offender is released for purposes of SORA, thereby triggering the need for a risk-level classification hearing, only when they are free from state-imposed confinement and certain to re-enter the community. They suggest that a SORA risk level classification hearing cannot go forward if there is any possibility at the time of the hearing that the offender will remain confined by the state for more than 30 days here due to the pendency, or possible pendency, of SUMTA proceedings that could result in civil commitment. We reject that contention and conclude that sex offenders are released for purposes of SORA at the time they are no longer confined by docs following the completion of their prison sentence, regardless of the possibility that they may be confined under SUMTA. At the time of their SORA hearings, Defendants had either been released or were about to be released from confinement by DOCs, and therefore the hearings were not premature. Defendants proposed construction of the term release is not supported by the text and structure of SORA and would render SOAR practically unworkable in cases involving the highest risk offenders. b. In interpreting a statute, it is fundamental that a court, should attempt to effectuate the intent of the legislature, Patrolman's Benevolent Association of City of NYV City of New York, C. People v. Roberts. The clearest indicator of legislative intent is the statutory text, and we therefore start with the plain meaning of the language itself, see Myevsky v. Bratel Perth sent. School dist. Effect and meaning must, if possible, be given to the entire statute and every part and word thereof see people v. Toluto. Furthermore, a statute or legislative act is to be construed as a whole, and all parts of an act are to be read and construed together to determine the legislative intent. Where the language of a statute is clear and unambiguous, courts must give effect to its plain meaning, State of New York v. Patricia 2, see Matter of Anonymous v. Malik. Sora provides, as relevant to these defendants, that a determination that an offender is a sexual predator, sexually violent offender, or predicate sex offender, shall be made prior to the discharge, parole release to post release supervision or release of such offender by the sentencing court applying the guidelines established by correction law section 168 leader after receiving a recommendation from the board at the same time the sentencing court shall also make a determination with respect to the level of notification after receiving a recommendation from the board both judicial determinations must be made 30 days prior to an offender's release as prescribed by sora when an offender is about to be released from incarceration The original sentencing court has the responsibility to perform the functions outlined in Correction Law Section 168-10, People v. Stevens. Sora's detailed commands govern the procedure and timeline under which an offender's risk-level classification and registration must occur. As relevant to these appeals, this entire process is triggered by, and consistently tied to an offender's release. Although Sora does not expressly define the term release, a comprehensive reading of the statute makes clear that the legislature intended the term primarily to refer to an offender's release from confinement by docks. It is a bedrock rule of statutory construction that, where the same word or phrase is used in different parts of a statute, it will be presumed to be used in the same sense throughout, absent any indication of a contrary intent, matter of mental hygiene legal serve. V. Sullivan. To that end. Multiple SOAR provisions expressly tie the concept of release to an offender's departure from many of several expressly listed locations, including first and foremost a correctional facility. Additionally, an offender's duty to register is triggered at least 10 calendar days prior to release from any state or local correctional facility, hospital or institution where he or she was confined or committed. SORA also imposes a duty on docs interalia to notify the Division of Criminal Justice Services (DCJS) at least 10. Calendar days prior to the release or discharge of any sex offender from a correctional facility, hospital or local correctional facility, of the contemplated release or discharge of such sex offender. Notably, the very start of the SOAR process is activated by those expressly listed locations specifically any state or local correctional facility, hospital or institution based on their individual duty to send relevant information about the offender to the board which must occur at least 120 days prior to release or discharge from each institution, in this case DOCS. Contrary to the assertion of defendants, nowhere in the statute does SORA require delaying a risk-level classification hearing or a final SORA adjudication until an offender's re-entry into the community is assured, and we decline to read those words into the statute, see American TR. Ins. Company v. Sartor, a court cannot amend a statute by adding words that are not there. Although the release of a sex offender from confinement by docs most often coincides with re-entry into the community, there is nothing in the statute expressly limiting the term to that event. Indeed, by listing the specific facilities, release from which triggers various SOAR obligations, rather than simply stating that release into the community does so, the legislature made clear its intent. To conclude otherwise would effectively amend the statute by striking the listed facilities and substituting into the community as the SORA triggering event. This we may not do. In fact, none of the statutory language identified above would be necessary if the only meaning of release was re-entry of the offender into the community, free from any and all state confinement. Sora's overarching structure bolsters our interpretation of the text. For example, when an offender is civilly committed under SUMTA, Correction Law Section 168f, 2, c1, and, 3, suspend certain Sora registration requirements thereby demonstrating that the legislature envisioned that civilly committed offenders would already have SORA risk-level classifications at the time they are placed in a secure treatment facility. Further, Article 8 of the Correction Law, which concerns community supervision, ties the term release to a person's release from confinement by DOCS, not merely their release into the community. SORA plainly envisions a singular process, one that is triggered 120 days prior to an offender's release from confinement by DOCS continuing through a classification hearing held 30 days prior to release, and concluding with the offender's registration 10 days prior to release. There is no indication that the legislature intended for the term release to have different meanings at different stages in the SOAR process, and the artificial distinction the dissent draws between release for registration-classification purposes and risk-level determination purposes is wholly unsupportable. Part 2. C. In addition to Sora's text and structure, we also reject defendant's preferred construction of the term release because it would be contrary to the legislature's intent when it enacted Sora and would render the act practically unworkable. The legislature's paramount concern when it enacted Sora was to protect the public from the danger of recidivism posed by sex offenders, to assist the criminal justice system to identify, investigate, apprehend and prosecute sex offenders, and to comply with the Federal Crime Control Act, Stevens, see also Dovi Pataki indicating that the twin purposes served by SOAR are, one, protecting members of the community, particularly their children, by notifying them of the presence of individuals in their midst who may present a danger, and, two, enhancing law enforcement authorities' ability to investigate and prosecute future sex crimes. To effectuate that purpose, SORA establishes registration and notification requirements for sex offenders and creates a three-tier classification system based on their risk of re-offending, with level 1 being the lowest risk and level 3 being the highest risk, people v.D.O.G. The dissent's construction of release under SORA undermines this goal by exposing the public to the risk the statute was enacted to protect against. When an offender is discharged or released from civil confinement under SUMTA, notice is given only to the attorney general and the offender, see Mental Hygiene Law. In contrast, under SORA, when an offender is to be released the statute clearly requires that certain parties are timely and properly notified about the impending risk-level adjudication i.e., the board, the sentencing court, and the district attorney. Sumta does not require OMH to give notice of an offender's release from civil confinement to any of the parties listed above. Thus, if we accept a defendant's contention that an offender is not released whenever Sumta proceedings are pending or contemplated, there would be no statutory guidance as to how. Precisely, the mechanism of SORA would be triggered if and when an offender is released from civil confinement. SUMTA does not address that serious notice problem because it never arises. A SORA risk assessment must have occurred by the time of an offender's release from incarceration, i.e., before any determination is made under SUMTA. Indeed, the record in each case here demonstrates the impracticality of defendants' proffered interpretation of the term release. At the time of defendants' respective SORA hearings the relevant time for our purposes no final judicial determination had yet been made as to whether they qualified for civil commitment under SORA. Indeed, at the time of the SORA hearing in Koto's case, no sum to petition had been filed, and Koto had not been transferred to OMH's care. He had merely been notified that his case had been referred to the case review team to ascertain whether civil commitment proceedings were warranted, see Mental Hygiene Law section 10.05. Even if the case review team concluded that further proceedings under SUMTA should occur, that determination would still be reviewed by the Attorney General, who would be responsible for determining whether to file a civil confinement petition under SUMTA. Put simply, there was no certainty at the time of their Sora hearings, that either defendant both ultimately classified as the highest risk offenders would be confined for any significant period beyond their release from incarceration. Given the lack of a predictable release date under SUMTA, the Board, the Sentencing Court, the district attorney's office, and the secure treatment facility would likely find it impossible to coordinate and comply with Sora's statutory obligations if release only meant re-entry into the community. Inevitably this would result in the release into the community of recidivist sex offenders who lacked any risk-level classification the precise risk Sora aims to address, CDOC. We cannot conclude that the legislature would accept such a risk. Rather, the approach more consistent with Sora and Indeed. The only practical approach is for the sentencing court to conduct a SORA risk-level classification hearing when the offender is released from confinement by DOCS, irrespective of any parallel process occurring pursuant to SUMTA. In short, delaying defendant SORA adjudication here would serve only to impede SORA's purpose of protecting the public from the danger of recidivism posed by sex offenders, Stevens, C. People v. Mingo. The defendant's preferred approach would create a situation where Due to uncertainty over whether the state will successfully pursue some proceedings an offender might re-enter the community without a risk-level determination because docs may no longer confine the individual legally. d. Nor do we find persuasive the dissent's arguments in support of defendant's interpretation of the term release. The dissent construes the term release as meaning an offender's release from incarceration by docs unless the offender may be transferred to another type of state custody. It generally supports that interpretation through a narrow focus on one isolated SOAR provision, a resort to dictionary definitions, and a refusal to acknowledge the serious public safety risks inherent in its approach. The dissent, with the benefit of hindsight, says that of course no release has occurred here because defendants have remained confined by the state at all relevant times. However, at the time Supreme Court made the determinations challenged on appeal, it did not have the luxury of knowing that defendants would remain in state confinement and was faced with the possibility that, in delaying the SOAR hearing until after their time of DOCS confinement had ended, defendants could be released into the community without a risk-level classification. The dissent's approach does not grapple with the situation that Supreme Court faced when it was called upon to make the challenged SOAR determinations. These cases show precisely why the only workable, consistent, and predictable approach is to conclude that release occurs for SOAR purposes when the offender's confinement by DOCS will cease. Moreover, The risks labeled by the dissent as mundane operational concerns are precisely the risks to the community that the legislature sought to address through enactment of SORA. Here, those concerns relate to the classification of the most dangerous recidivist sex offenders, including those who, like defendants, have repeatedly sexually victimized young children. The risk here is not simply that agencies and courts will find it confusing or challenging to comply with the SORA process but that vulnerable members of the community will lack the safeguards provided by SORA when offenders are released without proper classification and oversight. The idea that the legislature left it up to the assortment of officials involved in the administration of SORA and SUMTA to cooperate on an ad hoc basis to develop procedures for handling the classification of SUMTA offenders is entirely inconsistent with SORA's goal of protecting the community. In light of our conclusion that release under SORA encompasses release from DOCS's confinement and not merely release into the community Supreme Court properly concluded that the SORA hearings in each case were not premature due to pending or potentially pending some to proceedings. In fact, conducting the SORA hearings at their respective times was precisely what the statutory scheme intended. 3. Defendants further contend that by conducting their SORA hearings at a time when they were unlikely to be released into the community. They were denied due process because they could not challenge their risk level classification at a meaningful time. We also reject that contention. The United States and New York constitutions require that the state not deprive an individual of life, liberty, or property, without due process of law. The bedrock of due process is notice and opportunity to be heard, see People v. David W., citing Matthews v. Eldridge. Nonetheless, due process is a flexible concept that generally requires consideration of three distinct factors. First, the private interest that will be affected by the official action, second, the risk of an erroneous deprivation of such interest through the procedures used, and the probable value, if any, of additional or substitute procedural safeguards, and finally, the government's interest, including the function involved in the fiscal and administrative burdens that the additional or substitute procedural requirement would entail, Matthews, C. David W. As relevant to these appeals, it is well established that sex offenders are entitled to certain due process protections at their risk level classification proceedings. People v. Boxing, see David W. See also Doe v. Padaki. In particular, due process requires that the state bear the burden of proving, at some meaningful time, that a defendant deserves the classification assigned. David W. Generally speaking. An opportunity to be heard at a meaningful time means that a defendant has the ability to challenge the determination before the state makes its determination, See Corp v. New York State Urban Dev. Corp., C. Generally Goldberg v. Kelly, Armstrong v. Manzo. Although classification as a level 3 offender impacts private liberty interests, C. David W. We nonetheless conclude that determining the risk level of a sex offender upon the offender's release from confinement by DOCS, even if that offender is potentially subject to indefinite civil commitment under sum to presence minimal risk of misclassification and thus minimal risk of an erroneous deprivation of those interests, see generally Matthews, matter of KL, Pringle v. Wolf. Sora already provides substantial procedural safeguards to offenders when making a risk level classification, see for example Correction Law sections 168 n. 3. Providing for notice of the risk-level classification hearing, disclosure of the board's recommendation, assigned counsel, submission of evidence by the offender, and placing the burden of proving the facts supporting the risk-level assessment on the people, 168 2. Providing the offender with the option of pursuing yearly modification hearings. In addition, SORA provides an offender with the opportunity to challenge a risk-level classification at a time before a determination is made by the board or the sentencing court. C sections 168 meter, offender is permitted to submit to the board any information relevant to review, 168 n, 3, See generally Goldberg, Pringle. These procedural safeguards were implemented specifically to mitigate the risk of an erroneous deprivation, C Do. There is little reason to believe that a sex offender considered for civil management under Sumta who has been afforded these procedural safeguards has been misclassified under Sora as a level 3 offender. Sex offenders in need of civil management under Sumta are among the highest risk offenders in the system. Indeed, most of the relevant RAI space factors in defendants' respective cases are based on the unalterable characteristics of the underlying offenses, as well as on each offender's criminal history both of which involve repeated sex crimes against young children and, as such, subjected these defendants to automatic overrides. None of these RAI space factors, nor the application of the automatic override will change during any period of civil confinement, and consequently the risk of misclassification at an arguably premature hearing is minimal. The state's interest also cuts against postponing the initial Sora hearing until an offender will be released into the community, see generally Matthews. To that end, the state has an important interest in ensuring that all sex offenders receive proper risk-level classifications before they re-enter the community. As discussed above, because the timing of release from civil commitment can be unpredictable and may not allow the parties to comply with the statutorily mandated time frame expeditiously, delaying the SORA hearing could result in the release of sex offenders into the community without the proper risk-level classification. The state has a significant interest in avoiding that result, especially given the pool of offenders subject to some to proceedings. This is particularly important given the public safety objective served by SORA, see generally Mingo Stevens. Thus, in light of the minimal risk to defendants occasioned by conducting a SORA hearing despite the potential pendency of summedic proceedings, and given the state's strong interest in ensuring predictable and timely risk-level adjudications, defendants were not denied due process when their risk-level classification hearings were held upon their release from confinement by DOCS. Accordingly, in each case, the appellate division order should be affirmed, without costs. These appeals are conceptually quite simple. The idea behind Sora's risk-level determination is to make an accurate one shortly before a sex offender is to be released, as a way of protecting the public. A goal of Sumta is to treat dangerous sex offenders and, for those for whom treatment works, to release them to the community, supervised. Making a risk-level determination after a decade of incarceration and before a decade of treatment serves neither purpose of those statutes. Nothing in the statutory language compels the majority's result which is at odds with the plain language and clear statutory purposes. For that reason, I respectfully dissent. For number 8, order affirmed, without costs. Opinion by Judge Curran. Judges Garcia, Singas, Canataro and Troutman concur. Chief Judge Wilson dissents in an opinion, in which Judge Rivera concurs. Judge Halligan took no part. For number 9, order affirmed, without costs. Opinion by Judge Curran. Judges Garcia, Singas, Canataro and Troutman concur. Chief Judge Wilson dissents in an opinion, in which Judge Rivera concurs. Judge Halligan took no part. Decided February 22, 2024. Decision podcasts are brought to you by the New York Prosecutors Training Institute. Find this and other decisions at NIPT Law. org/law.